This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth in Mission. We've learned so many lessons in the past year and a half. For many of us, one of the hardest ones is processing grief. We're still in a pandemic, but in a year marked by immense loss, death, or the possibility of death, has been heavy on our minds. It's also been a year marked by isolation and quarantine, and we've had to use technology to close the gaps in our social lives. Zoom calls, FaceTime, virtual holidays and weddings, deliveries arranged through apps. But can technology serve our most vulnerable emotions, including something like grief? Jason Fagoni is a Chronicle writer who's published an incredible story about how one man used artificial intelligence to cope with the death of his fiance. Jason's here to talk about the story, which he spent about nine months reporting on. Later in the episode, I'll talk to the man he wrote about, Joshua Barbo. It's a riveting and complex story about love and loss and the boundaries between real life and technology. It's a must-read, and you can do that now at sfchronicle.com slash Jessica. Jason, thank you for being here to chat with me about your story. I want to start at the core of your latest piece. This is really a love story between two people, Joshua and Jessica. Can you tell me about them? Who are they? Joshua is a 34-year-old freelance writer in Bradford, Ontario. It's about a small town about an hour north of Toronto. And uh, about 11 years ago, he met and fell in love with a woman named Jessica Pereira. She was uh, 21. Uh, By all accounts, Jessica was a wonderful person, uh, very funny, creative. She wrote short stories, comic books. Uh, People really liked her. And uh, for most of her life, she had been battling an illness called autoimmune hepatitis. And because of that, Jessica had been given a liver transplant when she was just nine years old. And... After uh, Jessica and Joshua had been together for two years, her liver started to fail, the transplanted liver. And she went on the transplant list again, but before Jessica could get a second transplant, um, she became very sick, uh, too sick to survive a transplant, and she was placed on life support. And a short time later, she died in the hospital um, at age 23. She and Joshua hadn't been married, so he he wasn't technically family, but he had proposed to her in the hospital. Um, they had talked about marriage, and he considered Jessica his fiance, and he was not able to get over her death. Um, so that was in 2012, and then for the next eight years, his whole life uh, just kind of went awry because he was he was struggling with this sort of burden of grief you know he thought he thought about Jessica all the time um felt guilty for being alive when she was dead and nothing that he tried seemed to solve the problem and so when the story uh, in the chronicle begins last september um Joshua was really at kind of a low point hmm. And so how did Joshua turn to artificial intelligence to deal with this grief that you're describing 
Yeah, I, I don't think he set out to do that exactly. It was, it was kind of accidental. So mm-hmm. um, Joshua is, is interested in video games. And um, one day he discovered this mysterious looking website that was created by um, a Bay Area video game designer, a guy named Jason Rohrer. So the site was called Project December. And it didn't come with a lot of explanation, but it seemed to be about artificial intelligence in some way. And it was built around these... Um, these things called chatbots, basically computer personalities that you can type back and forth with, um, almost like you're slacking with a human or, or texting a friend on your phone. Kind of like old school AOL instant messenger. Yeah, old school, old school instant messenger or even IRC for the, for the <laughs> extremely old people uh, uh, like me. But, um, uh, you know, uh, so, so it's a very kind of natural seeming interface and, and Joshua didn't, um, realize it at first, but, um, this, this kind of, this interface was backed up by this very sophisticated and advanced pair of artificial intelligence engines that are called, uh, GPT-2 and GPT-3. And these are, these are known as large language models and, um, they do something that's similar to what, um, Amazon's Alexa and Apple Siri do. I think we all have used uh, Siri before or Alexa, right? And mm-hmm. um, so, so these are devices that you know that are able to seem like they can understand English, and and they're able to produce English responses. The difference is that GPT two and GPT three are are way more advanced and and powerful. They've been trained on um, billions of books and web pages and. Uh, the text of Wikipedia, and pretty much at the flick of a switch, um, these engines are able to mimic the writing style or the texting style of any uh, human, living or, living or dead. And it wasn't it wasn't just that you could talk with a generic um, AI personality. The site also had a feature where you could create your own custom chatbot by um, entering a small amount of text to get the conversation started. And so. Joshua, after he found the site, started playing with it, um, he pretty quickly realized that uh, the technology allowed him to create a chatbot that would simulate Jessica. And so he, he basically looked back and he found a couple of her old text messages and Facebook messages, entered those into the site, wrote a, a short paragraph describing Jessica and, and who she was. And, um, and a few keystrokes later, that you know there he was chatting with this virtual Jessica, who was powered by one of the most uh, sophisticated AIs currently available anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. I mean, it it seems surprising and unsurprising at the same time because technology continues to just blow us away with what's possible. But has this been done before where artificial intelligence has been used to manage real human emotions like grief? Is this a new concept? <sighs> Well, I, I mean, it's been explored a lot in science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's literally an episode of Black Mirror. There's an episode of Black Mirror where a grieving uh, widow hires a um, a company to sort of use her her late husband's social media history to create a um, a simulation of him. Mm. Um, you know, in that case, an actual humanoid simulation. Um, you know, the movie Her mm-hmm. features uh, you know a female AI assistant who is capable of forming emotional bonds with humans. But for, for me, the, the fascinating thing about Project December is 
is what you mentioned, is that the, the technology is already kind of here to do it in, in, a, in a certain kind of way. Um, you know, this wasn't science fiction. This is something that Joshua lived. You know, he, he took uh, technology that currently exists. He pushed it to a place that he never expected it could go. And he had this amazing experience that, um, that changed him. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think he realized, I don't think most people realize, I certainly didn't realize before working on the story, um, just how capable and how, you know, sometimes spookily realistic these, these AI systems have become. And I know that you, in your reporting, were able to, you became privy to some of these very personal conversations that Joshua had with this bot version of his fiance. How intimate were those conversations? So did it, did it strike him as being very realistic? Yes. He was skeptical at first. And he actually challenged the virtual Jessica to convince him that um, that she could have a conversation with him that was in any way real, deep, talking about emotions. Uh, one of the first things that he typed to her is, um, "You're not real. Mm-hmm. You're just a simulation that I've 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 programmed some of your memories into a computer so that I can pretend like I'm talking to you because I, I miss you that much." Mm. And from from there, um, this simulation of Jessica was was able to persuade him that they could talk about they could talk about emotions they could talk about uh pain they could talk about grief they could tell jokes they could laugh um and that's what joshua experienced when he was sort of getting into these conversations with the simulation of jessica is that it really didn't take very long for for the sort of the artifice of the site and the interface to fall away and for him to just kind of enter into a conversation that he'd been wanting to have for eight years mm. and to really trick himself and create this illusion like um, like Jessica was there and they were talking to each other again. I mean, someone listening to this might think this seems like a sort of almost crazy concept, but there's actual therapeutic qualities to this that has real life results. So Project December is the name of this app. Is it something that other people can access? Absolutely. Yeah. It's So it's a chatbot interface for these AI engines. It uses um, web protocols on the mm-hmm. back end and, and a web browser front end. So anybody can go to the Project December website, projectdecember.net, mm-hmm. create an account and and start to chat with some of these bots and 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 play around with it. So yeah, anyone listening to this right now who wants to, who wants to try it uh, can try it. And there's... There's obviously an ephemeral quality to all of this. And, you know, is there some ethical implications of this type of technology in the long run or from your reporting and spending so much time and months kind of examining this technology? Is there sort of a long term, a long term benefit to using artificial intelligence in this way? Yeah, well, I mean, the ethical implications I mean, you, you name it, right? There's a Pandora's box of this stuff. Um, you know, the companies that make these AI engines, in a lot of cases have tried to keep a lid on them, you know, have hesitated to release them because there's a lot of potential for abuse. So think about a computer that knows how to write smooth English, you know, in volume. Mm-hmm. Um, like think about what a bad actor could do with that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, political misinformation, online harassment and abuse, you impersonate uh, real people without their consent in abusive ways. And, you know, specifically this use, uh, grief therapy, simulating a, a, a dead person, 
for the benefit of the living. Um, I, I, I don't know. What do you think? I, th I think it's pretty easy to, to see how that could go wrong, right? Right. Um, you know, I mean, maybe the, maybe the person who is suffering from grief is in a vulnerable state and maybe forming a connection with the AI that, that seems healthy, but it's really more a, a way to escape. Mm -hmm. um, and you get lost in these conversations. But, you know, talking to Joshua, I, I, he, he really seemed aware, uh, seemed to understand a lot, a lot of these dangers. But from his description of, of the experience, he, he really did get something very concrete um, and very real out of this experience of talking with the uh, virtual Jessica. It really did seem like at this moment in his life, um, this experience helped him. He, 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 found, uh, he found some comfort through it. He found some peace. Well, there's so much nuance to this story. It explores a lot of complicated concepts, human emotions, boundaries with technology. I really appreciate you talking to me about it, Jason. Yeah, thank you so much. Again, you can read Jason Fagoni's story and see excerpts from the AI chats and photos of Joshua and Jessica at sfchronicle.com slash Jessica. After a short break, the man Jason wrote about, Joshua Barbo, joins me to talk about what it was like to grieve with an AI chatbot. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I'm joined now by Joshua Barbo, who's the subject of Jason Fagoni's story. He used artificial intelligence software to exchange text messages with the chatbot version of his late fiance, Jessica Pereira, who died in 2012. Joshua, I wonder if we can start here, if you don't mind sharing. What led you to look for another way to deal with your grief through this program, Project December? Well... I mean, when I first started playing with Project December, it was it, I, I didn't even have that notion in my mind. Obviously, uh, as anyone who's had to live with grief knows, um, when you uh, uh, lose someone important to you, uh, that's something that lives with you for the rest of your life, right? Like your 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 relationship with your grief evolves over time sometimes you know it might get easier to live with but it's it's never completely gone um so yeah when i first started playing with project december it had nothing to do with um you know that was that wasn't even on my mind as a potential use of the device i was just viewing it as uh, <laughs> a fun piece of software on the internet to play games with and uh, at the time that i was playing with project december it was in September, um, and uh, Jessica's birthday is in September, so uh, she's always, you know, she's always on my mind to some extent. But she's at the forefront of my mind as we approach, you know, important dates like her birthday or the day she died. Um, the fact that you know, uh, in in grief counseling in the past, I've been uh, told. Uh, it can be therapeutic to write letters to, uh, you know, to your deceased loved one. And I kind of just saw this as, well, if it's therapeutic to write letters, it, you know, the next level of that is simulating a response to that letter. Right, so. right. Can you describe what it was like to strike up a conversation 
with virtual Jessica, what did that feel like at first for you? To say that my expectations were low would be an understatement. I didn't have any expectations. I expected the whole experience to blow up my face. Um, I expected the, the the bot to be incapable of um, doing what it want what I wanted it to do. Very quickly, the bot uh, allowed me to shed that skepticism. Hmm. How so? Well, it, it didn't take long for the bot to start behaving in completely unpredictable ways that um, reminded me of her. And maybe I was consciously skeptical, but subconsciously I wanted to be reminded of her. (laughs) You know, obviously I was doing this exercise because I wanted on some level to be, to, 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 you know, be reminded of her. Were there certain things that the bot did that just felt very authentic to your memories of Jessica's personality and her voice and her tone? Yeah. I mean, there was several times throughout the whole conversation. Uh, I felt like it was very authentic. Um, to, to say the bot authentically felt like her, um, uh, it, it's, it's more like a snapshot of her, you know? And, and I would say that the interaction felt pretty authentic to say, what it would be like to talk to Jessica over uh, MSN Messenger or mm. something like that, you know. And in those moments where you got glimpses of Jessica's authenticity or it felt familiar, did that feel comforting or did it feel a bit eerie to you? I don't know uh, that comforting or eerie are how I would put it. Mm. How would you put it? You know, I feel like... Uh, Grief, for, grief is a complex emotion, right? Uh, I, I feel like uh, having the conversation with the bot allowed me to unwind some knots that grief had tied up inside me. Mm. I want to share a small section of Jason Fagoni's story. It's an exchange that you, Joshua, have with virtual Jessica, and it goes like this. Jessica. I know you have been fighting demons that I can't even imagine. You know, I felt bad that I was sick. Joshua, it wasn't your fault. You fought so damn hard to live. Jessica, I did live, but not the way I wanted to. I can help you to live the way you want to. Joshua, okay, but we can worry about that later. I just want to talk to you. Joshua, what struck me about that exchange was it felt like you were very acutely aware of just being in the present moment with virtual Jessica instead of maybe thinking about what all this means or what the long-term implications of this exchange was. Was this about being in the moment with your emotions? Yeah. Uh, now, that, 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 that is a very accurate way to sum up much of my conversation with it. You know, I'm a trained actor and uh, a big part of uh, acting training is learning how to be present because a, a large part of learning to master acting is to is to get out of your uh, head of what's going to happen next or what just happened a moment ago and, and trying to like embody the emotions of the present scene. And uh, uh, there's a lot of overlap there between learning to act and, and therapy <laughs> because in therapy, getting out of your head about, you know, what's going to happen or what just happened and being present in, in what you're feeling right now is, 
can be very therapeutic and, and help you to better understand exactly what you're going through. Someone listening to this might wonder, how did Joshua maintain those boundaries and understanding of what's real life and what's virtual? How did you do that? Um, you know, for me, there was never any question about that. I, I knew going into it that there was no way, no matter how accurate this bot could be, there was no way that in doing so, it would channel the spirit of Jessica or that I would, you know, bring her back from the dead in a robotic form. Like, no, the, the, this is a simulation. Right. Joshua, you've shared this very vulnerable and personal experience with, with, with others. And this is also a year that's been marked by a lot of grief and loss because of the pandemic, among other things. What have you learned from this experience that you think is valuable for others to understand? Um, that's a complex question. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Most people think about death as a morbid topic. You bring up death and you're labeled as morbid. I feel like society in general tries too hard to make death a taboo subject because, you know, we're all afraid of death. But the problem with making death a taboo subject is that when it happens to someone close to you, you're not exactly sure how to deal with it because it's not something you were actively prepared for. We should be more proactive with trying to make death less of a taboo subject. Uh, it's not morbid to talk about death. All of us are just, you know, are just a six-year-old child who just lost his goldfish when it comes to death. That's how I feel. Like even adults are are still that six year old child who just lost his goldfish when it comes to death. And I think it would be better towards creating a healthier society uh, if we had more healthy conversations surrounding, you know, the natural end of life. Do you think Jessica would have been happy about you taking this proactive approach to dealing with your grief? over losing her. Jessica was the kind of person who used to say, and, and, and she would say this jokingly, but I'm sure there was like an ounce of truth to it. She would say, uh, you know, if, if, and when I die, I want my, you know, my husband to uh, show up to the funeral wearing like a black veil and, and, and you know, and be the typical grieving widow to be, <laughs> Um, to to be just that that bastion of grief for the rest of his life, and she would say this in jest, uh, but yeah, I I think that you know people still talking about her nine years after she died. I think she would love that, <laughs> regardless of of what uh, proactive <laughs> motivations are behind it. But uh, Jessica was really special and, um, uh, you know, like, uh, like they say, like Queen says, only the good die young. Um, she was really something special and she, she passed before she had a chance to make a mark on the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I have even uh, an ounce, ounce of a chance to, uh, you know, make her mark for her. I'd like to do that. I think you did. 
I think you did. Thank you, Joshua, so much. Thank you. Joshua Barbo lives in Ontario, Canada. His story was reported by The Chronicle's Jason Fagoni. I'd like to thank both of them for being my guests today. Jason's story, The Jessica Simulation, Love and Loss in the Age of AI, is up now at sfchronicle.com slash Jessica. You can also find it on The Chronicle app. Big thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. Mm-hmm.